Let's pray. God, we do exalt you this morning. We know that this is your church and that you're going to build and grow it the way that you want, the way that's going to bring glory and honor and praise to you. And so we just pray that you would do that this morning. We pray as we open your word that you would illuminate it for us and that you would be the one that we go away from here glorifying and honoring and praising this morning. We ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, HPBC. How are y'all doing this morning? Good. I hear Phil down here. Uh, my name is Lake Slabach. If we haven't met, I am the family ministries pastor here at HPBC. And I am picking up the baton from Brent this week. Not an easy task after his message last week, but I am on grow. Uh, and so we're going to be taking a look at what it means to grow uh, as believers and by default as the church. Uh, before we get there, though, I need to confess, for those of you who don't know me, I am a question asker. Uh, when, when I was in elementary school, uh, one of my elementary teachers had a parent-teacher conference with my mom, and she actually said that I ask too many questions, which, as a kid, I thought, what do you mean? You're the teacher, you have the answers, I need them. As an adult, I understand a little bit of where she was coming from. I like to ask questions, and so as we talk about what it means to grow this morning, I'm going to ask us a lot of questions. Questions can mold and shape us. Questions can mold and shape a generation. Uh, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Molded and shaped a generation. It molded and shaped many people even before that question was put into words in public. People have been asking themselves that question. Or uh, if there are kids in the room with us this morning, a question that kids themselves are asking themselves today, that kids were asking themselves when I was a kid, where's Waldo? Right? <laughs> like, I don't know where that man is. People are still looking for him. He could dress a little bit more to stand out. He kind of blends in. Questions can mold and shape a generation. Questions can mold and shape us. There are questions that we ask ourselves very infrequently, maybe only once in our lifetime. Where do I want to go to school? Is this the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with? Do we want more kids? There are big questions we ask infrequently, and there are big questions we ask a lot. Am I happy? Do I enjoy what I do? What is my purpose in life? So today, as we unpack John chapter 15, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 8, verse eight there's going to be a lot of questions. Now, I'm going to do the best I can to answer a lot of these questions, or some of them at least, from the text. But then there's going to be others of these questions that I am not gonna be able to answer for you, questions that only you are gonna be able to answer for yourself. And I think both sets are important and can mold and shape us, not because they're great questions, but because we have a great answer. As you're turning to John chapter 15, let me set the stage for you a little bit. We're coming into the book of John in the middle of what's called the farewell discourse. Jesus has performed uh, his one of his final miracles in raising Lazarus from the dead, and now he's been addressing his disciples for a few chapters. And so they have had the Last Supper, 
and Jesus is still addressing them, and he says this, John 15, starting in verse 1, going to verse 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Before we begin looking this morning at the ways that Jesus outlines that we can grow as believers, I want to start with a question that as my elementary teacher put it, I'm, I'm naturally inquisitive, and so this is a question I ask a lot. Why? Why should I care? Like, why do we want to grow? As a follower of Christ, I've placed my faith in him. Why does it matter to me if I grow? I'm in. Well, luckily, Jesus lays out exactly why we should care about growing here in verse 8. Jesus says, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Everything we do in the Christian life, every action, every decision, every opportunity to grow, and any production of fruit that we come up with is done for the express purpose of bringing glory to the Father. We grow to glorify the Father. And that's going to be the baseline for everything that we talk about this morning. And you, you say, that's great, Lake. I'm still in a questioning mood. How does me growing, how does my growth bring glory to the Father? I, I don't see the connection there. And I'm glad that you asked that. The answer is all the way up in verse 1. Jesus says this, I am the true vine and my Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the true vine. He is not a counterfeit vine. In the Old Testament, Israel is painted often as a vine or as a vineyard, and the only problem with this is that they bore fruit that was no good. God had done everything to set his people up for success, to bear the fruit that they were supposed to bear, but they still bore bad fruit. Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says this, Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Isaiah says, God set his people apart. He, he planted them in fertile soil. He dug out all around them. He cleaned them. He set up a watchtower. He even dug out a wine vat in preparation for the grapes that they were going to produce. But when Israel produced grapes, they were wild. It's because Israel wasn't the true vine, but now we have access to the true vine. There's one true vine, and it's the Son. There's one vine dresser, the Father. 
And he does not make mistakes in pruning and preparing his people. And so when we bear fruit, we show ourselves to be his disciples. And this brings him glory because it's not the goodness of the branch that leads to growth. It's the truth of the vine and the skill of the vine dresser. When when people travel from all over the world to see the Mona Lisa, they don't stand there and say, I'll tell you what, that da Vinci, he was lucky he had that canvas. No, they look at the Mona Lisa and they say, whoa, da Vinci was a genius. Anything that you and I produce, anything that is of substance and lasts, anything that can be used for the kingdom of God is an evidence of the goodness and the skill of the vine dresser, thus bringing him glory. And so we grow to glorify God. Another logical question you might be asking yourselves at this point, or at least I would be, is, okay, like, I'm on board. I understand why I need to grow. I see it. But what am I being asked to grow? What do we grow? Well, in John 15, Jesus leaves this answer at just fruit. We, we do know that based on the passage, it isn't just any fruit. It's specifically fruit that proves we are his disciples, So we look to the rest of the New Testament because we let the Bible interpret the Bible and we see in the New Testament fruit depicted a couple of different ways in the Christian life. First, we see in Galatians, we grow fruit of the Spirit. We have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Shout out to the picture on my grandparents' wall growing up that helped me memorize those. We have internal fruit that comes from the Spirit that produces external things. We we have internally in us love built by the Spirit, and so that outpours in the way that we treat and interact with one another. We, We have joy which pours over even in the midst of deep sorrow. We have self control which governs and shapes the way that we make decisions and the things that we do. We have internal fruit as believers that overflows and leads to external actions because we know, as James would say, that faith without works is dead. We bear fruit of the Spirit. We grow fruit of the Spirit. A second type of fruit we see in the New Testament, we grow more disciples. Matthew chapter 28, Jesus tells his disciples, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations.'" baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. He he says, you're going to go, you're going to make disciples, you're going to baptize them, and then you're going to teach them to obey everything I commanded you, which includes this command that I'm saying right now, which is to go and make disciples and baptize and teach. We bear the fruit of more disciples because we obey the commands that he gives us. Disciples of Jesus make more disciples of Jesus. And this brings glory to the vine dresser because salvation belongs to the Lord. The vine dresser is the one who gives the growth, not the vine, or not the branches. What do we grow? We grow fruit of the Spirit as we mature, and we grow disciples as we obey. Well, if that is the why and the what, we are arriving at what the bulk of this passage is going to be talking to us about today. How? How do we grow? 
I understand that I need to grow. I want to glorify God. I, I see that I need to grow fruit of the Spirit. And I need to grow as disciples, but, but where do I even begin? And this is where we get into the meat of the passage. Jesus says that those who abide in him bear fruit. We grow through abiding. We grow through abiding. As the true vine, Jesus supplies all of the water and nutrients needed for his branches to bear fruit. Christ as the true vine means that it's not, he's not just the stem, but he is the entire vine, including the branches. For us to abide in Christ is for us to become a part of him. The branches, the stem, the roots, all of it is connected And it's all working to provide growth. To abide in Christ is not something that we can do passively. Even when the outside of a vine looks like nothing is happening, internally there is water and nutrients that are flowing throughout all of it to stimulate the growth. Apart from that vine, we can't bear fruit. For a branch to not abide in the vine is for a branch to abdicate its access to life to abdicate its access to growth. Likewise, for a branch to abide in the vine is for it to abdicate its ability to stagnate. There's no standing still when you're abiding in Christ. Elsewhere in Scripture, Paul refers to the body of Christ as just that, a body. We know this holds true in this example as well. If one of my limbs decides that it's no longer going to abide in me, And so it it goes and it lays on the ground over there or whatever. It has, in that decision, abdicated its access to life and growth. It doesn't matter how much I exercise. It doesn't matter what foods I eat. No matter what I do, that limb over there on the ground is no longer going to be able to grow. It has abdicated its access to life. In fact, it's going to shrivel up. Likewise, for my limbs to continue abiding in my body means they've given up the ability to say, no thank you, no more growth. That, that would solve a lot of New Year's resolutions, right? If, if my gut could say, I know Lake just ate a lot of pasta, but I'm doing a no-carb thing, so no thank you. No, to abide in the vine, to be a part of the body of Christ, means that you can't say, no thank you. You can't say, no thank you, I don't need reproof. Repro- oh, that's hard. Reproof? or rebuke. There you go. I don't need that. I don't need instruction or discipline. I don't need to be molded and shaped. I'm good. To abide in Christ, to abide in the vine, is to accept the nutrients, the water, the things that we need to grow. And that brings us to our second thing, In order to grow, in order to bear fruit, the Christian must first abide in Christ. Second, because they're abiding in Christ, they're going to bear fruit. And in verse 2, those who bear fruit, he prunes, that they may bear more fruit. We grow through abiding. We grow through pruning. The process of pruning, in case anybody in here other than me is not a vine dresser or a farmer, is a process by which a plant is trimmed and cut back in certain areas so that the energy, the nutrients, the water, everything it needs 
can be focused on a different area of that plant or that vine to stimulate growth. So if you were going to decide to grow the world's biggest watermelon, you wanted to enter it in the county fair and you wanted to win the world's largest watermelon competition, after you planted a watermelon vine, you would watch that vine meticulously, you would pick a blossom that you thought would grow the biggest watermelon, and then you would prune and cut back other areas of that vine so that all of the nutrients from the soil, all of the water that was either through rain or through you watering it, everything, all of the energy would be focused on this one watermelon and hopefully grow it larger and larger. While as believers, we're not growing just one large fruit, but many, that example still holds true. As we're sanctified, God cuts away parts of our lives, parts of our branch, which need to be pruned so that where we need to grow can grow. This can be an extremely painful process at times where the Lord illuminates areas of weakness, areas of sin, and helps us put them to death because if they're not pruned, then like Israel, we wouldn't be able to bear proper fruit. Uh, over Christmas, we were able to visit my family in North Carolina. Uh, I, I come from a pretty large family and um, I'm the oldest of seven siblings. And uh, as we get older and marry and start having kids, the amount of time that we are all in one place, brothers, sisters, nieces, nephews, aunts, uncles, grandparents, everybody, is, it's few and far between. But we had one of those on Christmas night. It wasn't quite everybody, but it was really, really close. And we're sitting around the table at my grandparents' house, and like you do when you're with family you haven't seen in a while, you start telling stories, many of which you are very familiar with, and you tell every time that you're in that situation. You might even say, hey, tell the one about whatever. My, my uncle starts telling the story, one that I had heard a long time ago, but he, uh, he had a fire in his house about 10 years ago or so. Uh, he has this room in his house, and it is a fantastic room. It's his favorite room in his house. It's, uh, I guess you could call it like a study. It's got couch, chairs, um, books, games, big, big fireplace that's wood burning. It's the room where if you were to go spend an evening with him, you would probably end the night in this room. You know, you would eat, you would hang out, you'd talk, and then at some point you would move to this room to sit by the fire, play board games, whatever. And so one night he was in this room and he watched as an ember jumped out of that fire and got right between the hardwood floor and the hearth. It went right down there. And so he was obviously concerned about this and spent most of the evening trying to do anything he could think of to make sure that that ember was out. He, he even went so far as before he went to bed that night, he poured water down underneath his hardwood floors. And the next morning he woke up and the house was full of smoke. Now, yes, he needs new fire detectors. But he went to the room, he knew exactly what it was, called the fire department, and they came out. The firefighter came into the room. My Uncle Tom said, it's right there. It's right between the hearth and the hardwood, and there's a fire that's going to that's come out of there. Well, the firefighter looks around, and he says, okay, I'm going to take my axe and put a hole in that wall beside of the chimney. Um, my uncle said, no, 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 you don't understand. The fire is right here. It's, it's in the floor. 
And the firefighter said, no, 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 I'm going to put a hole in that wall by the chimney. And so sure enough, he takes his axe, he plants it in that wall, and when he does, flame comes shooting out across the room. Now the firefighters were able to put the fire out and the room was able to eventually be restored. But that firefighter knew something that my uncle Tom didn't know. Tommy didn't understand that the fire would be more easily managed if it came out of the wall, that it would be more quickly put out, that the room would be more easily restored. He didn't understand that that ember had had time to creep up the walls and all that it needed was a little access to oxygen and it was going to ignite. He didn't know that because he's not a firefighter. When God prunes his people, it can be painful. We can look at it and say, why are you going to put a hole in the wall? The fire's down here. Why are you going to prune that branch? There's nothing wrong with it. But as the vine dresser, God has access to information that we don't have access to. And so he prunes his people even when it seems painful. How does this pruning happen? Does verse 3 seem a little bit out of place to anybody other than me? You know, Jesus is talking about vines and branches, and then in verse 3, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. And then he just goes right back to talking about vines and branches. It seems out of place, but the root word that Jesus, is, Jesus uses here for clean is the same root word used the verse before for prunes. What Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying, already you are clean, already you've been cleaned, you've been pruned by the words that I've spoken to you. Hebrews 4.12 would say it this way, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. God the Father uses his word to prune his people to cut back areas of their life that need to be cut back so that growth can occur where it needs to occur. So here's one of those questions I can't answer for you. Are you giving the Word of God the opportunity to do that in your life? Are you regularly spending time with God and His Word, asking Him to use it to mold and shape you? When you see inconsistency between your thoughts, desires, and actions— and the Word of God, do you work to bring those thoughts, desires, and actions into alignment with His Word? Or do you begin to rationalize, to defend the way that you're feeling, to close yourself off from the pruning of the vine dresser that's going to lead to growth? Pruning can be painful, but it's indicative of the Father's love for us. I, I was talking to a friend this week about this very idea, and he actually pointed me to Hebrews 12, and it says in Hebrews 12, uh, it's quoting Proverbs chapter 3, uh, it says, My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God disciplines those he loves. It goes on to say that if you're left without discipline, it actually proves not that you're a son, but that you're an illegitimate child, that you don't belong to him, that you aren't a part of the vine. It talks about our earthly fathers and says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, 
But he, our heavenly father, disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline, all pruning seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The discipline of the Father, the pruning of the Father is not evidence of his judgment towards you. It's actually evidence that you are his son or his daughter and he loves you. And in his mercy, he's instructing you. Are you willing to be pruned by him so that you can grow? There's, there's one more way laid out for us here by which we can grow. Verse 7 says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We, we grow through abiding. We grow through pruning. And finally, we grow through prayer. On the surface, this could seem like an invitation to abide in Christ and in exchange receive a blank check for all of your wishes and desires. But this is where context is going to help us out tremendously. Jesus has been talking about what it looks like to grow in the Christian life. He says that his words are the primary agent used to prune and grow his people, and then that pruning happens to those who are abiding in him because they're bearing fruit. So Jesus knows that as his people abide in him, they're going to bear fruit, and as they bear fruit, they're going to be pruned by his word. And the combination of those two things is going to mold and shape his people so that the thing that they wish when they come to him in prayer is going to be verse 8. That they bring glory to the Father in everything that they do. That they would prove to be his disciples by bearing fruit and bringing him glory. We grow through abiding, we grow through pruning, and we grow through prayer. The mature Christian who is in the Word, who's accepting instruction and rebuke from it, who is abiding in Christ and undergoing heart transformation day by day, is going to start praying with a lead foot of, Father, do what brings you glory in this situation. Father, use this thing that I am wrestling and struggling with to grow me, to prune me, to help me bear more fruit, proving to be your disciple and bringing you glory. Not to create earthly pleasure for me, but God, use this thing to, as I come before you with an unveiled face, transform me into your image more and more from one degree of glory to another and in so doing, bring you glory. We grow through abiding, we grow through pruning, we grow through prayer. And that leads us to our final question today. What if we don't grow? What if we don't grow? First, if bearing fruit, if growth, proves us to be his disciples, then by an absence of growth, we prove we aren't his disciples. Look in verse 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Now, again, at first glance, this would seem to imply that there are branches who are truly in the vine, who are truly in Christ, who bear no fruit and thus lose their salvation. But, again, we use the Bible to interpret the Bible, and we know this can't be the case. Just a few chapters earlier in John 10, Jesus told his disciples, 
My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So, so we know, Jesus has already said, once I give you salvation, once you are in my hand, there's no letting go. I'm not letting go of you, and you're not letting go of me. I'm going to hold you fast. So what does this mean? If we step back a little bit more, once again, context will help us. We, we are here in John 15. Jesus has been speaking to his disciples as he's getting ready to be delivered over to be crucified. But just a couple of moments before where we are today in John chapter 13, Jesus actually excuses somebody from this meeting. Jesus had told the disciples that someone was going to betray him. He had said the person that eats this morsel is the one that's going to do it. He then gave it to Judas who ate, and then he told Judas in John 13, what you're going to do, do quickly. Judas gets up, he leaves everybody, and John says, and it was night, which is John's way of saying, and now we're on our way to the cross. Now things are beginning to get dark. Why is this important? Why is it important in helping us understand what Jesus is saying here in verse 2? Because there are some who have the appearance of being in Christ, who appear to be in the vine, but they were never truly in the vine. They were never truly his disciples. When I ask you how many disciples did Jesus have, you would probably say 12, and you'd be right. Jesus himself said he had 12 disciples. He, he said that Judas was his disciple. But Judas proved himself otherwise. And this did not surprise Jesus. Jesus wasn't shocked by Judas' betrayal. Remember verse 3, he tells the disciples, already you're clean because of the words that I've spoken to you? Who's not there when he says that to them? Judas. Judas has been gone for two chapters. Jesus looks at the 11 remaining disciples and says, you are clean because of the words I've spoken to you. He doesn't say that to Judas. Jesus wasn't surprised by Judas's betrayal because Judas had not been cleansed by the word. He had not been pruned because he had never borne fruit. And thus, he proved himself to be no true disciple of Jesus. If we wanted, we could take a dead tree and we could staple fruit to it. We could staple apples to it. And when people drove by on the street, they would maybe say, oh, look, an apple tree. But if they got out of their car and they examined it, they would see there was no, no true growth. There were no blossoms. There are no branches that are still alive. In fact, it's something pretty grotesque. It's something that's dead, but is masquerading as something that's alive. If we don't grow, if we don't bear fruit, we prove ourselves not his disciples. We prove we aren't his disciples. And second, if we don't grow, Jesus says we do nothing that lasts. We do nothing that lasts. Jesus says that a branch cannot bear fruit unless it abides in the vine, and that apart from him we can do nothing. You might say, Lake, I know a ton of people who are not Christians and do a lot of good work. And I would say, true. There are people who are not Christians who do good deeds, but Jesus would say 
that even good deeds done apart from his will have no lasting impact. In, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, on the final day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Even deeds that appear to be good, like prophesying in Jesus' name, casting out demons in his name, many mighty works in his name, those appear to be good things, but the people doing them were never truly in Christ. And so the things that they did won't last. And one day will lead to our final answer, which is if we don't grow, we are separated from the vine eternally. In John 15, Jesus says that the branches that don't bear fruit are thrown into the fire and burned. In Matthew 7, he tells those individuals, those branches, to depart from him. If we don't bear fruit, if we don't grow, if we're unwilling to abide in Christ, to submit ourselves to the pruning of the Father through his word, and be changed through prayer to bring him glory, we prove we aren't his disciples, we accomplish nothing that lasts, and are eventually separated from him for eternity, but it doesn't have to be this way. I told you this morning there are questions I can help answer, and that there are ones that only you can answer. Well, here are some of the ones that you have to answer for yourself. If you're here this morning and you know that you are not growing, you're not bearing fruit, you're not abiding in the vine, the process of being grafted into that vine is so simple. All that you have to do is repent and believe. Repent means to turn away from your sin. And if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Are you here this morning and you know that you're not growing? Maybe, maybe you know that you're good at looking like you're growing. Maybe you're like that apple tree and you, you have gotten really good at stapling apples on yourself. But you know that you do not belong to the vine and you don't know the vine dresser. Repent and believe. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, but maybe your walk with him has become a little bit stale, a little bit stagnant, you aren't bearing fruit, maybe you've closed yourself off from the pruning the Lord wants to do in your life. Maybe you're neglecting to abide in him. Maybe you are no longer seeking his will in prayer, but your own. The author of Hebrews would encourage you one more time this morning. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore my wrath, they shall not enter rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin does not want us to grow. Sin does not want us to be pruned because it doesn't want to be pruned out of our lives. If you're a believer and you're going through a period where you aren't experiencing growth, 
Are you submitting yourself to the Word of God regularly? Are you allowing it to be used to prune areas of your life that need to be pruned? When you go to Him in prayer, are you asking for His will to be done and for Him to be glorified? And finally, for those of you this morning who are doing what Christ outlines here in John 15, you are abiding, you're being pruned, you're in prayer. I, I want to close us this morning with an encouragement from the book of Colossians. Paul says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for being the true vine, for being the vine dresser. We ask that you would help us in following you to be willing to be pruned, help us to abide in you, help us to seek your will in prayer, and help us continue to bear fruit for your glory and prove to be your disciples. We ask this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.